Welcome back, Stuart Holman here with the fifth and final devotional exploring the theme of exile as it's applied to Christians in the New Testament. The idea itself comes from the Old Testament people of Israel who were taken captive to Babylon and were forced to live lives of faith in a foreign culture, surrounded by a people with no love or respect or even knowledge of God, of their God. And today we're going to finish off the book of 1 Peter following this theme all the way through it. But recognising it, it's a theme that is developed in many other parts of the New Testament. As we've read Peter's letter, it's pretty clear that uh, as he writes to the Christians scattered throughout Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, that he expects that the persecution he's experiencing in Rome, he expects that's going to spread through the empire. He sees it coming and so he writes to prepare Christians to live through some tough times. Of course, initially in the first century, as the gospel spread from Jerusalem throughout the Roman Empire and beyond, initially it was viewed as a sect of Judaism and so it was a, afforded a kind of respectability. Uh, Roman governors had already figured out how to manage the Jews, who to talk to when they wanted to get something done, what the pressure points were. They were a known political entity who could be useful when managed well. But then when the Jews began to distance themselves from the Christians and start to complain to Rome about them, things began to change. Social disorder and conflict between the Jews and the Christians made them both so unpopular with Emperor Claudius that he expelled them from the city of Rome. Uh, after Claudius died, it's likely that the Jews and Christians started to trickle back into Rome under the new Emperor Nero. But then, in the 60s, under Emperor Nero, the Christians became the object of intense hatred. When a quarter of Rome burnt down in July 64 AD, killing many citizens, leaving thousands more homeless, Nero blamed the Christians. And the persecution which followed was bloody and it was brutal. Both the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul were martyred in Rome during that time. So. Shortly before his death then, when Peter writes to his readers about the fiery ordeal, a reference to the persecution at the hands of the Romans that we read back in chapter 4, he's warning them and he's preparing them for tough times to come. His message is clear. Within the Roman Empire and throughout the world, Christians should not expect help or support or protection from the authorities. In fact, quite the opposite. That's why Peter's been calling them exiles and strangers, the people without rights, who submit themselves to injustice out of reverence for Christ and as a way of following in his footsteps. They are to live quiet lives of humility, always ready to give an account of their faith to anyone who will ask. And that's where this identification of Christians as exiles becomes so helpful for us because it shapes our thinking and it sharpens our focus in times when we can no longer demand support or protection from our governments or from society generally. In popular opinion, across all kinds of media, we used to be the good guys, but now we're increasingly the bad guys. We are indeed exiles on foreign soil, journeying towards our home, needing to keep our focus so that we won't be distracted from our mission here. In this context, the conclusion of Peter's letter is particularly helpful to us. He writes, 
Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Humility, a very unpopular value at the time, was displayed principally by the Lord Jesus Christ and, and worthy of emulation for that reason alone. But it will also allow Christians to endure and persevere in the Roman world. They would keep a low profile, as it were, but they would also continue gossiping the gospel and spreading the word without drawing too much attention to themselves. But Peter was not calling for humility for humility's sake. Instead, it was an act of entrusting oneself to God because God alone is actually in control because he has all authority. We can surrender our rights and use whatever is that is at our disposal to lift others up. It's God's hand that is mighty, and it is his hand that will lift us up in due time. This is the reality which undergirds Peter's four separate calls to submit to others in his letter. And it's also God's authority and power, which means that we can cast all our anxieties upon him. God's supreme rule over all things is really at the center of the thinking of an exile. There's another reality, though, which also must be reckoned with. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. On our journey towards our homeland, there is danger along the way. As exiles, we are called to stand firm in our faith, resisting the devil's temptations and distractions along the way. And as we do cling to our Lord Jesus, we can be assured of the outcome. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. In our time of exile, no matter what persecution or malice comes our way, and ultimately no matter what happens in this life, our arrival at our destination is assured. Our home country, described here as God's eternal glory, will be reached because he himself will restore us, whether from death or whether from the challenges that we face along the way, such that we are made strong, firm and steadfast to him be power forever and ever. Amen. Before this week in the book of 1 Peter, perhaps you'd never really thought of yourself to be uh, an exile in this world. Perhaps the experience of the Jews in Babylon had never quite resonated with you before. But I hope that Peter's letter has given us all a new perspective on our lives here today. What difference does it make that we are exiles, citizens of another kingdom, ruled by, in fact, another king, Jesus? For me, I find it sets me free from the power of disappointment. Whether often or occasionally, our cherished hopes and dreams do fall flat. We were so looking forward to that holiday, that new job, that celebration, that promotion, that cherished situation, but it didn't work out. However, as an exile in this world, this doesn't surprise me at all. Satisfaction that lasts will never be found here. It was never meant to be. This world is not our home. Knowing I'm an exile gives clarity 
to Jesus' call to holiness. I want to leave the allure of hedonism behind. I want to walk a little bit apart from the things that everyone else is chasing after. I know that Jesus has sent me into this world for his purposes, but that I am not of this world. As one scholar put it, a boat is made for the water, but woe to the boat when the water gets in the boat. In short, the soldier doesn't get entangled in civilian affairs, nor do I rise or fall on the pleasures of, that this world has to offer. This same sense of clarity refines my sense of purpose. Jesus has indeed sent me and us into the world in much the same way as the Father sent him into the world. The details of our missions are slightly different. Jesus has already done all the heavy lifting, but we are working toward the same end. I think another way of grasping the exile's sense of greater purpose is to remember that Paul viewed himself as God's ambassador offering reconciliation with God to all who would believe. Ambassadors don't belong in the country of their residence. They operate under the laws and values and culture of their home country, representing their own rulers' interests, even while on assignment in their remote location. So, fellow exiles and strangers to this world, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those great pilgrim saints who've gone the journey before us, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart.